Get a friend, get informed, and get involved. It's We Are Not Cattle Radio. Good evening and welcome to We Are Not Cattle Radio. I am your host, Jake Counts, coming to you live from Atlanta, Georgia. It is May Day, the first day of May 2014, and I will be live here for the next hour. Don't forget, now that we've had our scheduling change, that you will be able to catch the show live most of the times. I'm not going to say that it's going to be every week, but I would say 99.9% of the time. You'll be able to catch me here live this Sunday same station, and if you need to uh, a little general reminder, you can go to the website wearenotcattle.net, and I'll have a link to the show there. But catch me on Sundays from 11 a.m. till noon. It's the old format. It's actually the format that I began with. I think I ran Wednesdays and Sundays when I first started. So, but we are here. It is May Day, and man, is there a lot to get into. But I would like to cover the topic that I had lined up for the show. Now, the episode for the show is called Authoritarians Among Us as we examine the structures of corporate America, public school, and government to understand how to combat authoritarians by using the trivium method and other methods of intellectual self-defense, and why do we allow ourselves to be run by narcissists and psychopaths? So that's the essence of the show. It's probably going to take up the first part of the show. I've got some... um, some news that I want to get to, some perspectives, some op-ed pieces that I wanted to read, and um, just some general news that supports the the broader topic of the show. And in essence, what this is all stemming from, and um, for those of you that do watch the, the video stream, I actually don't have a live video stream, but I do post some of them on my YouTube channel. We are not cattle TV on YouTube, so please go and subscribe there and like that. Not because I get paid, but... Because it lets me know that you at least hear the message and you would like to share the message and like to see other videos that we're doing. Um, Josh and I are working on some compilations together. He should be joining me for the show, but I haven't been able to get in touch with him. So we're kind of hitting and hoping at this point. Um, So all communication signs from him have been down. So don't know. We might get him. We might not. But either way, we're going to talk about the topic at hand. So... Let's begin by taking a walk, shall we? Let's take a walk down the grammar of what an authoritarian is. Now, by definition, and this is what I'm going through and just off of, once again, quoting my source, dictionary.com, an authoritarian is favoring complete obedience or subjugation to authority as opposed to individual freedom. And it says also, of or for pertaining to a government or political system, principle, or practice in which individual freedom is held completely subordinate to the power or authority of the state centered either in one's person or small group that is continually accountable to the people. And the third definition would be exercising complete and utmost control over, quote, will of another and or of others. So this has kind of a another perspective that we're going to get into in a second and it is the raising of the human mind. And we'll get into that here in a moment. 
But the authoritarians among us, what I meant by that comment, what I meant by that statement, is that we do live in a highly authoritarian society. And the reason that we're given that we live in this authoritarian society is because without structure, everybody would go crazy. Everybody would just do whatever they wanted to do, and we would have anarchy, which they call chaos, which is not chaos at all. Anybody that's listened to the show, you understand what the meaning of the word anarchy means. An meaning lack thereof, archy meaning a hierarchy or rulers. So therefore, anarchy means the lack of rulers. doesn't mean the lack of laws. doesn't mean the lack of discipline. It doesn't mean the lack of any kind of moral stability. It just means the lack of assholes telling you what to do. Let's just be frank. So when we look at the structures that we're placed in here in these magic little boxes in the United States, and in case you guys haven't figured this out, and for new listeners, I know that what I'm going to say is going to sound a little bit weird and a little bit skewed, but once you start doing your own research and developing your own thoughts and your own ideas of what life should be, you will see that what I'm telling you is not only the truth, but it is just a very, very tiny piece of a very large puzzle that the human mind has not been able to figure out. Some have on an individual level, but as a collective conscience, we have not figured it out. We have not figured out how to put aside our petty differences and come together to enjoy and embrace one another. And all of our magnificence, whether you're a whether you're a purple person from some other planet or if you're a, a white kid from suburbia or a black kid from the inner city, we still have yet to divorce ourselves from things like political ideology and things like religious ideology. Any of the ologies that you can think of keep us from having meaningful conversations, from moving the ball forward in human conscious development. And we're stunted. And this is not something that was done on accident. This is something done very much on purpose. And it's done through your educational system. Now, I know that everybody's going to sit there and go, well, I, you know, I went to public education and I, I turned out fine. I, I, you know, I got a good job. I make a good living. That's not what makes life. Life isn't about making a good living. Life isn't about working as a wage slave for some mega corporation. I mean, it might be to you. That might be your life. And as a volunteerist, I would say go for it. But I think that if we look at the larger picture, if we look at the bigger idea of what human culture should be and, and morality should be, it definitely shouldn't be serving authoritarians, people on power trips, people telling you what to do, when to do, and how to do it. Now, I know that that sounds like something that would just be completely bonkers to somebody that's in public education, and you guys probably think I'm all a quack. Well, hey, guess what? The majority of you, I think you're all a bunch of authoritarians uh, on power trips. So there you go. And this is coming from the son of an educator for 35 years. So I understand what you do on a day-to-day -day basis, and I appreciate you trying to educate the kids. But guess what? Let's be honest. 
When you're educating these kids, you're handcuffed. You can't say what you feel. You'll get fired. You can't do anything that you want to do. You can't teach them real-world lessons because you got too many damn standardized tests to give these kids. you got to keep them up. we got to make sure that we get the funding. we got to make sure that we're not on the list. And that's where it all begins. The fear from the authoritarian system. See, authoritarian systems, what they do is they create a, a structure, if you will, a hierarchy. And typically at the top of the hierarchy, you will have some self-fulfilling, narcissistic psychopath that just wants to dominate and control everything. Looks at you like you're a little ant on a farm, a.k.a. Um, pick your favorite uh, global comptroller. Let's use – I mean, here, let's use grenades. I mean, propaganda is a prime example. So control the people by what they read, what they see, what they hear, what they taste, what they touch, all of that stuff. And then you, you factor in things like the panopticon that was used back in Russia where they would have signs above the, um, above the structure. And for those of you that don't know what the panopticon is, I'm not going to get too in-depth, but it was a, a jail cell that was, surround, that was basically circular and it – and as you were in these cells, you were watched by a centralized tower. And even if there wasn't a person in there, you felt like you could be watched, so you were always on your best behavior. And the way that they powered the Panopticon, which is really, really interesting, was the children that were there of the slaves, as they played on the instruments, would actually power the system. And it said above them, if they would have been productive when free, they wouldn't have had to work as slaves. So when we look at history, when we look at the, the idea and the mechanism behind authoritarianism, there is a couple of things that have to be in place. Number one, you have to have an absolute jackass that wants to control everybody, typically at the top or somewhere near the top of the power structure. They have to basically utilize their ability to fearmonger everyone or to pr project fear onto the society or the what-if strategy. Well, if I don't do this, then what, if, then what if somebody finds out? If I do this, then what if – so they project this, this idea that there is always going to be a misstep and you always have to go through the chain of command in order to, to get the, the – I guess the request that you would like to have approved. So when you're talking about authoritarianism, it's, it's not just a structure of psychopaths. You have to have people in place to help support it. You have to have people like yes-men. And the yes-men are pretty easy to spot. If you've ever worked in a corporation, you can typically spot these people. Now, I worked in corporate America for, oh gosh, seven years. Okay, So I've seen the authoritarian in action. And the authoritarians that I saw were in sales organizations. Now, sales organizations are pretty easy to spot because typically you'll have a bunch of people that are, that are running high energy, high-fiving each other. It's kind of like boiler room, but not quite that exciting and not nearly as fancy of cars. So when I was in sales, there was the structure. And typically the authoritarians have to have some kind of basic structure because if you get outside the structural realm, you have to be punished. Very much like the system that we have now in America, although everybody's an authoritarian and, and everybody thinks that they can tell everybody else what to do. 
And I'm going to get into that here in a little bit and the reason that we act like that towards one another. So in my time in corporate America, you had the person that was the sales manager or the sales vice president or whatever stupid title they wanted to give that person. So the person would come in, and they would talk to the little minions of the system that were going to go out and do the grunt work. And then they would have the manager, the quote-unquote manager. And typically, the organizations that I worked for were pretty hard B2B, door-to-door sales. B2B means business-to-business. So we would have to go out and knock doors and talk to people and engage them and try to talk to them and see if they would need our product. And then, obviously, set a meeting to come out and present our product or capabilities and then find out if it's the solution for them. But it's typically never structured like that, but rationally, that's how I kind of dealt with it. So what they would do is they would get all of us into a room, and they would get the big rah-rah chant going. And once you had the big rah-rah chant about what everybody's doing for the weekend, let's go out and and beat the competition. The competition's not working. We're going to go out there and make it it happen. So everybody get fired up, and then you had the turning point. Towards the middle or end of the month, you would have the what-ifs. Typically, the sales manager or vice president in sales would go, okay, everybody get out there and make it happen. I need to see these people um, wait behind, and they would call your name, and you're on the what-if list. So you'd have to stay behind and wait to see what the what-if scenario was. And typically, you were you know, at zero sales for the month at one or something like that, and they were going to try to find out how you were going to correct this, this injustice for not coming and – Con, you know, contributing to the corporate family, which now well, that's a whole nother show. So you would go through the scenario of the what ifs, and then you would have people that were very, very impressionable, highly impressionable. Typically, people right out of college that would be visibly be shaken and intimidated by what just happened. Remember, they didn't tell them they were getting fired. They didn't tell them that they were losing their job. They didn't tell them that they were going on PIP or anything like that, which is Performance Improvement Plan, another acronym used in the, in the, um, in the corporate world to shame somebody into doing better. It's never motivation. It's always shame. We have to shame you into doing something. So you would see people visually shaken. And why were these people visually shaken? Well, the fact of the matter is, is that these people were visually shaken because they were never given the opportunity to grow up. And I don't want to say it's Peter Pan syndrome, but there is somewhat of an effect of Peter Pan in it. They were classically conditioned from a very early age to not grow up. And it's the whole idea of Peter Pan, but it's taken to the extreme by the government school system that wants to keep you in a suspended state. And the reason that they want to keep you in a suspended state is because you're easily controllable. Because if you're a child, if you're intimidated, if you don't have rational thought, if you can't make rational decisions, if you can't ask the who, what, where, when, why, and how of these things, then intimidation is inevitable because it's fear. Oh my God, what if? What if I'm the guy that has to stay behind? What if I'm the guy that gets called out? What if I zero out? What if I do this? What if? What if? What if? And now they have you. They have you in the fear. So let's move that one step back from corporate America. Let's talk about that in the school system. What's really going on in the school system? What if I miss a day of school? What if I miss five days of school? What if I miss ten days of school? Oh, you're going to get in-school suspension. 
and you might even get out of school suspension. What if I wear a shirt that's not sanctioned? What if I wear a shirt with a gun on it? Ooh, what if? What if? What if? And it perpetuates the fear. The fear manifests inside the young child, a very impressionable child nonetheless, still trying to feel and figure their way through the world. Highly impressionable years from the ages of 12 to 17 still don't really know what's going on, and they're perpetually in fear because of the what-ifs, because of the authoritarians, the people that... In, I guess then invoke the discipline or that, that push the discipline on the children. And I'm not trying to say that every teacher is like this, but I would almost guarantee you that every administrator that I've ever met in a public school is an authoritarian, absolute, narcissistic nut job. Within the time frame that they're in school, they might be absolutely cool outside of that, but when they're there, they feel like that that's their job. Well, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to be, bring discipline and bring structure. No, you know what discipline and structure are doing to these kids? When you're doing the things that you're doing, you're enslaving their mind. You're not letting them adapt. You're not letting them grow. You're not letting them sustain any kind of mental, um, of any kind of mental acumen when it comes to a, a consequence to something. Because the consequence is already a foreboding conclusion. It's never on an individual basis. It's never, oh my god, Jimmy was a straight-A student, and Jimmy showed up late uh, three times. You know what? You know what they call that in corporate America, what they would do? Well, first of all, in public school, they would just hammer you to the floor and say you got in-school suspension or whatever the punishment is. What they would do in corporate America, if the number one sales rep was late, what would they do? Nothing. That's real-world application. If you're a good person, if you do good things, if you do these things the right way all the time, and you slip up a couple of times, in public school they'll throw the book at you. But in life, if you're the golden goose, you slip up a couple times, that's fine. So you have to really look at the structures that we're creating here. We're creating power structures with power centers for psychopaths. That's what this is. That's what corporate America is. That's what the school system is. That's what government is, people. It is a feeding ground for narcissistic psychopaths because they get to tell you what to do and how to do it and when to do that. They don't sit there and think. I would guarantee you that 95% of those, of 95% of those guys in Washington don't really care about you. They care about votes. They care about getting reelected. They care about power. They care about feeding the narcissism, but they don't care about you. That's why government is a sham. That's why you don't need government. It's so ridiculously silly to have an authoritarian up there making laws with other authoritarian psychopaths telling you how to live your life. And putting constraints on the way you live. So let's move on. Okay. So now that I've got the fundamental structure laid out of what I wanted to kind of address with the audience here. Now let's move into some of the clips that I have and some of the things that we're going to get into. And um, actually, I thought this was going to take 20 minutes. It might take a little bit longer. So, Which is kind of good because um, these topics need to be discussed and they need to be discussed um, 
in a, in a way that makes sense. So I'm going to go to a clip from the Ultimate History Lesson with John Taylor Gatto, and that is on my website under Things You Should Know if you want a quick reference for it. Uh, I'll put the hyperlink in the, uh, in the show notes for tonight. Since I'm running the solo show, I'll be able to, um, to cover a little bit more ground, cover some more articles, some more clips, and I'll be able to put those in. So if you want to go and reference this or if you want something to go in tandem with the, with the audio podcast, and I'm recording video, so there will be a video documented version of this when it goes up on the web. So I'll put the show notes in there as well. So if you send this to people, once again, share the message with people you know, people you love, and people you like, because we really have to get over this fear that we're all different. We're not all different. Human beings are very, very similar. We've just been taught through divide-and-conquer methodologies, through psychopathic control freaks, that we are all this different people. Now, are there some real challenges in the world? Absolutely, there's real challenges. But I'll get to those here at the end of the show. Let's stay on topic. So here is John Taylor Gatto in the Ultimate History Lesson. For those of you that don't know, John Taylor Gatto was the two-time New York State School Teacher of the Year back-to-back years, and after he won it the second time, he quit and said he could not do this anymore in good conscience, destroying young children's minds. Which people that are educators understand where he's coming from because of the standardized test and all these other things that are just figments of the imagination. I remember my mom telling me that they would always do these other, most of these tests that they would do, these standardized tests were just trial tests. So they would take they would take key class time, hour, maybe two hours. If you took a two-day test, that's two hours of time that you probably could have learned something in your schooling. You might have learned something that would have triggered you to go down some other rabbit hole that would have made something different in your life, that would have made you a different person, that would have given you a different perspective. But oh no, you have to take this trial test to see if it really works so we can standardize everything to find out which level of slavery we got these kids on. Mental slavery, that is. So here is John Taylor Gatto in the Ultimate History List. Strategies to explain where the rest were. So, so uh, yeah, I couldn't operate. I couldn't function any longer because my physical strength wasn't up to it. So, How did part of the strength of your actual teaching come from releasing children from the classroom and letting them go out in the world and actually gain some useful experience? A huge amount of it came from releasing anyone who had an independent course to follow, becoming that boy or girl's assistant, always with the mother's permission because they couldn't deal with that kind of additional political pressure. So what they would learn and bring back would be like food for me. I would be like I was 120 people simultaneously. I learned much more than I learned at the two Ivy League colleges I attended. I used to say to my wife, and it sounds fanciful, as though, oh, he must love children, which is not true. I, I love people, and people can be five years old, but but people who suck their thumb and, and, and rattle and extend childhood school's intention is to artificially extend childhood. And there really is no practical terminus for that. If they can extend it through graduate school and postgraduate. What is the actual reason that their childhoods are being extended? How does it serve? I think 
what we never discuss or that the extreme left has preempted to discuss so they marginalize themselves is the intimate interrelationship between the economy and the way we train the young. There you go. All right, so there's a lot more to that, but that was just the segment that I wanted to get across to everybody. There is a reason that we're all trained to be submissive. Because if you had a bunch of individuals running around, once again, the the theory behind that is you would create anarchy. No, you would actually create human development. You would create new um, strategies for doing things, new ideas, new paths, new roads. Oh my gosh, could you imagine? Could you imagine if we went back to the schoolhouse version for just some extent of time? Maybe once a week, something like that, just to break up the monotony. Have the older kids come in and teach. Because who are you more likely to listen to? If you're a 15-year-old kid, are you more likely to listen to some 55-year-old person that is that has got no idea what you're going through in your life and has no idea what kind of societal stress puts on you in, in this current state and has no idea you know, what the social structure is like in the school or anything like that? Or would you be more apt to listen to somebody that's 17, that's a senior, that's gone through it all, that's been there, that's done that? Who would you be more apt to listen to? And then the person that's the teacher, the 17-year-old, gets the thrill of teaching somebody something. Now, I was a golf instructor for two years in West Palm Beach, Florida, and I thought that was fantastic. And one of the things that I always loved was teaching the kids. Because the kids would always sit there and, and listen, and they would learn, and they would ask questions. And they would really want to know. Now, some of them would just be there because, you know, grandma and granddad wanted a babysitter for an hour and a half, and they'd drop them off, and you'd have to chase them around for an hour, and that was fine. And you're still going to get that with public school. You're still going to get people that are going to weed themselves out. They're not going to be interested. They don't have any interest in school. I typically didn't have a lot of interest in school, unless it was science or math. I didn't really care. English, forget about it. Ironically, I marry an English teacher, so there you go. But at the end of the day, you look at these things and you look at the way that we do things in our society and nobody questions. Now, I mean, some of the parents might question and go to the school board, but then they're like, well, 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 we're going to have a test about that. We we got that in committee and we're going to have a standardized test for that. See, that's the problem. There's nothing about human beings that's standard. There's nothing about this planet that's standard. That's why people, the global warming people just drive me absolutely crazy. Because there is no baseline. This is a violent planet. This is, this is chaos every day. Pick a part of the world. The only reason that we think the world is getting crazier every day is because now we have the means to communicate the crazy stuff that goes on on the other side of the planet. That's the only reason. Volcanoes over here, volcanoes, earthquakes, people dying, people, oh my gosh, you know, it's global climate change. No, it's not. We just have better technology and we can communicate better. And you get a bunch of shysters that know how to skew numbers. And, and people will, will send, send links and post articles from unregistered sources, you know, freaking Rockefeller-funded sources, Carnegie Endowment-funded sources, and then you ask them who funds these people, and they say, well, this is a credible source. It's credible in their mind, but they've never taken the time to look and see how the structures were set up. 
They don't know who owns Time Magazine. Hey, Time Magazine's a reputable source. Really, they used to call Joe Stalin Uncle Joe. They didn't even admit that he was a bad guy until the 1950s. And they used to talk about Hitler was the man of the year two years in a, in a row. Or twice, excuse me. Not two years in a row. But so that's a credible source? It, it really baffles the mind, and then you move into the other realms of authoritarianism. And one of the realms that authoritarians love is speech. Because if you can control the language, you can control the conversation, and then you can control the people, or at least they think they can. So that brings me to my next item. Actually, let's go to this item first. Nah, I'm not even going to go to that. I'm sorry. I just kind of omitted that in the show because we got we got about half the show left. So, eh, I probably should have pulled that up. Anyway, let's move to New York now. And this is something that actually just came out in March 22nd of 2012. So, this is some CBS New York. And this will show you how crazy the system gets when we're talking about putting people into boxes and protecting people. Because that's the really weird thing about um, when we move into the idea of the public school system. See, the public school system, as, as it's shifted from being something that was, that was good, and then once the Department of Education got in, it got a little worse, and then it got a little worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And now we're at a point where we just have to... We have to give the what-if scenario for everybody. Well, what if, a, what if a parent gets mad? What if a parent finds this offensive? What if a kid finds this offensive? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And so what did they do? This was back in 2012, and this went nowhere, but this gives you an idea of the mindset of these people. War on words. The New York City Department of Education wants to ban 50 forbidden words from standardized tests. The New York City Department of Education is waging war on war of of sorts and is seeking to have words that they deem, that they, once again, keyword, that they deem unsettling removed from standardized tests. Fearing that certain words and topics might make students feel unpleasant, officials, not servants, are requesting... 50 or so words be removed from the city-issued standardized tests. The word like dinosaur made the list because dinosaurs suggest that evolution, which creationists might not like. Halloween has been targeted. Oh, I just got refreshed here. Excuse me. Stand by. All right. Halloween has been targeted because it suggests paganism, a birthday might not be happy because it isn't celebrated by the Jehovah's Witnesses. Julie Lewis, a family celebrates Christmas in Kwanzaa, so she told uh, CBS's, um, CBS 2's Emily Smith that she wants her children to appreciate and learn other holidays and celebrations. They're not going to meet people in all walks of life and know that they're going to have to learn to adjust. Words that suggest wealth are excluded because they might make kids jealous. Poverty has also been on the forbidden list. The Petersons take vacation for five days in their Mercedes. So what? Your kids, you think your kids are going to be offended because they don't have a Mercedes? You think your kids are going to say, I'm offended? How? Well, I mean, in today's modern society, two years ago, this sounds kind of far-fetched, but today's modern society, absolutely these guys would be offended. 
I'm offended. How could you ask me a question about a Mercedes? I don't have a Mercedes. In a throwback to Footloose, the word dancing is taboo as well. However, there's some good news like the kids that like ballet. The city has made an exception for this form of dance. Once again, the city gets to decide all these different things, and the county and all these other guys get to decide what your kids can and can't and what is socially acceptable for them. Remember, these are impressionable teenagers, not you know grown adults that can make up their own damn mind. So we have to make sure that we coddle them and, like he said, keep them in a state of childhood all the way through their adult life. That's why you're seeing these kids that get right out of college that don't know how to debate, don't know how to argue. All they know how to do is piss and moan and throw little factoids at you without even knowing anything about the subject matter at all. And then they call you either a, a racist or you're a right-wingist or you just like the Koch brothers. I had that one happen to me like ten times on Facebook. Well, the Koch brothers – all right. So anyway, I'm getting on a tangent. Here we go. So if you don't celebrate one thing, you might find that your friend does. So I don't see why people would find it offensive. Yeah, I understand completely. Oh, excuse me. I skipped this one per. Also reference on the Vans are divorce and disease because that would make people feel like they were singled out or their parents is, or, or people might have relatives who have split households. So we're not outerly in the politically oh wait, so, so we're not in the outerly in being politically correct. It's just making sure that these test markers are sensitive to the development of this test. No, it's not. It is not about the test markers. It is about controlling the language. You, whatever. I mean, this guy might be a willful idiot, but this you know, Wilcott said on Monday, Dennis Wilcott uh, said of the DOE, the Department of Education, whatever. Uh in which Flangey responded, it's all of life. I don't, un- I don't know how they figure out what can and can't be put on the list. Expect to ha- every aspect of life is on the list. Here are some of the complete lists of words that to be banned. Okay, so here's what they were proposing. Abuse, physical, sexual, emotional, alcohol, birthday celebrations, bodily functions, cancer, um, di- catastrophes, disasters. Yeah, because you can't have those. Those will never happen. So celebrities, dancing, or children dealing with serious issues, cigarettes, computers in the home, crime, death and divorce, or death and disease, divorce, evolution, expensive gifts, vacations, prizing, gambling involving money, Halloween, homelessness, homes with swimming pools, hunting, junk food, in-depth discussions of sports require prior knowledge, prior knowledge, loss of loss of employment, nuclear weapons, occult occult topics. I.e. fortune telling. Oh, okay, that doesn't make any sense. Occult means anyway. <sighs> Parapsychology, psychiatry, pornography, poverty, rap music, religion, religious holidays and festivals, rock and roll music, running away. Anybody seeing any significance or any resemblance to Nazi Germany here? Just let me know when. Oh, running away, sex, slavery, terrorism. Oh, really? You can't watch any of the news then because they're all forbidden words. Television and video games, traumatic material, vermin, violence, war, bloodshed, weapons, witchcraft, sorcery, etc. So that's probably why they would want to ban Harry Potter, because that's witchcraft and sorcery. 
But remember, it's all just it's just for the standardized test, guys. It's just to keep everything standardized. So I'm actually going to go to the line here. I don't know if this is uh, somebody calling in. If this is somebody calling in, please, uh, I am so sorry for missing your call. But um, if this is somebody rebroadcasting my stuff, I will find out here in a moment. All right. Caller, you are on the air. Welcome. Sorry to keep you on hold so long. No problem. No problem. I had to wait even longer. What's going on? What's going on? from Miami, man. Dude, what's happening, man? I appreciate you calling in. What do you think? Of, what do you think about my diatribe so far? Oh man, great show so far. But uh, it just hit me, man. Authoritarianism uh, is just a, a soft form of slavery, man. It just it just makes total sense. And you asked, did uh, any of it resemble Nazi Germany? All of it does, man. It's Project Paperclip manifesting itself. It's it's those people sitting behind the scenes for decades just waiting for an opportunity to take over our minds and enslave us mentally. And it just it doesn't make any sense that people would sit back and just stand for all this, man. Well, here's the here's the interesting part about it, Ramon, and that's um I appreciate you calling in. Um I guess you heed my beacon the other the other day on Facebook. But um one of the things that I found that was very interesting is my father had a friend of his from um I think he was from Holland, and he came to visit my father, and they're a completely socialist country. And he talked about how that there was an open class of citizens that were communists that said that that if you really want a revolution, people, if you really want communism to take hold, we need you to get jobs in two professions. We need you to either become teachers or we need you to become media, and then we will have our takeover. So what do you think has happened in the last 50 years in the United States? What's happened is people have gotten lazy, man. They 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 rather just sit back and just let everybody else take care of the hard stuff and they'll just reap the benefits. But it, it showed that once people stop being involved, whether it's community, whether it's, you know, politics or economics or any of these things that have just gone to the crapper, when people don't get involved and hold these people accountable, this is what happens. You let criminals run away with the world. And it just it, – it shocks me more and more every day because it's like people, they'll talk about it all day. They're, they're, they're sharing links like like crazy, but nobody – I won't say nobody, but it's a small percentage of people who will actually get out and do the footwork. You know, in the last 50 years, maybe it had a lot of the civil rights movement and a lot of those people – a lot of those people getting killed, you know, JFK and Martin Luther and all those people who were in the forefront, and it made all the rest of the people – who aren't as active nowadays sit back and think like, wow, I don't want that to happen to me. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking happened. Well, here, here's the interesting thing about it is that, um, you know, it's like, um, <laughs> I always go back to the Winston Churchill quote and I was, I was watching uh, Stefan Molyneux last night. So I guess that's where I got it from. But, um, he said, Oh, you have enemies. Good. That means you stood for something. So I think that we're running into a culture. I think we do run into a culture, and, and it starts with the public schooling, man. And I, I think that that's why I harp on it so much is that if, if, you, have, if you create an environment that um, public schools are more and more starting to resemble, starting to resemble prisons when they put up these, these barricades, these fences around them, they still, they, they, first of all, they cut out the music, they cut out art. So you're basically annexing any kind of creativity from – from the child's learning behavior, and so they can't really bridge out. And then they, and then they hammer them with standardized tests, and they hammer them with all of these other things. 
so that the teachers can't really teach. All they can do is hand out tests all the time. So what does that teach the kid to do? That teaches the kid to just repeat what they've learned, the A, B, C, D, the true or false. And then when they get out into the real world, and I don't know if you've run into this before, but I've run into some people that are like, well, I, I graduated college. And you ask them questions, very simple, basic questions like, hey, where does that money come from that's in your wallet? And they don't know. And that, is, to me, is astonishing. And they've got, they've got pieces of paper that say that they're smart, and that's what baffles me. Yeah, it baffles me too, but I have to put it on the parents, man, because they're only in school a certain amount of hours. For the rest of the day, it should be on the parents to try to, like, really, really put a lot of these thoughts that we're discussing on, you know, radio shows and on the Internet into their minds because, you know, if you don't have the resources or the opportunity to homeschool your children or private or whatever other schooling there is and you have to put them in public school for whatever reason, you should put it on yourself to make sure your your child isn't, quote, unquote, left behind or, you know, just left in this in this world not knowing what to do or, you know, how to critically think about problems and stuff like that, like, if I'm if I'm able to, man, I'm a homeschool my daughter. But if not, if for whatever reason I have to put her in public school, that doesn't mean that I'm gonna give all her education to those people. I'm gonna take whatever amount of time I have left over throughout every day to really try to get her to think critically about things because it's it's our job. It's not some school worker's job or some teacher's job. Like I appreciate the fact that someone really want to teach kids and, and, you know, get them ready for the world. But what about the ones who don't? What about the ones who are just there for a paycheck and they really don't care about educating a child? Well, that's 100% correct because in states like, and and this is why I was kind of disappointed that Josh wouldn't make it on, but in states like Michigan, they have um, two years, after two years of public school, the teachers can get tenure. So in essence, what happened is even the good student, the good teachers stay, great, but you also get the bad teachers that you can't fire and they just transfer them around all over the state. And so I, I 100% a, a, a agree with what you're saying. And, yes, if my child has to go to public school, I'm going to deprogram her when she gets home and make sure that she thinks critically because I've got a four-month-old daughter as well. So when I'm thinking about these things – but here's the, here's the main question. Do you think that, that most people in modern society will come home and actually spend time with their kids, or do you think that they'll go and plop in front of the TV and watch shows together – and make casual conversation. What do you th- what do you think the percentages are just between those two in America? <laughs> the percentages. Oh man, we're always playing the numbers battle. I have to say maybe one out of four people are really into education and really into being involved in their children's lives. And I have to say probably the other seventy five percent are just sitting there watching some reality show or some new drama or whatever, and they just they're just lost. I see it every day throughout my life. I see people just literally come home from work, sit their kids in front of a TV with cartoons playing for however many hours they have left until they go to sleep, and it just blows my mind. And I try to talk to people as much as I can, but I don't try to interfere too much in the parenting because, you know, that's their job, and I don't want them to like I'm getting all involved in their personal lives. But at the same time, I throw tidbits out there to let them realize, like, what they're doing. They're they're programming their child with the television. They're not giving their child an opportunity to think critically or think otherwise about anything because they're being told, like you said, what to think all the time. They don't have a – you can't interact with the television. It's not going to sit there and have a conversation with you, yet people will sit down in front of it for hours a day and act like – 
that's where they're getting education from. And it blows my mind. So I have to say maybe I'm, I'm really pushing it. I'm hoping it's one out of four people who will actually do, do, do the due diligence of actually educating their children. Well, I think that that's a very good point. And, and then what we're looking at here, now think of, take it a step further. So now you have these people that, that, have, gone into, that have gone into public school. They've gone and they've learned, and, uh, and Josh was talking about this before. He had to watch An Inconvenient Truth. The, the propaganda flick by Al Gore when he was – I think he was in high school when this, when this all came out. So they had to watch it. It was part of the curriculum that they had to watch this flick, okay? So we all know that by now that the majority of the, the um, climate science is either, is either junk science or it's still up for debate. Of course, the left is going to say that no, the debate's settled and everything's fine, where you have, you have really legitimate beefs from both sides of the aisle. And yet I'm not one to say that let's go destroy the planet because we do have real problems with deforestation, pollution, all those kinds of things. But man-made global warming is not one of them, especially when you're talking about the individuals. Corporations, the top 50 corporations pollute more than all the other people on the planet combined. So I don't want to hear it from them. But what happens is that they have, like you said, they become spectators. They go and they listen and they watch these videos. They talk amongst themselves. And then these people get older, and then instead of questioning these ideas – and I should have played that clip from John Taylor Gatto where he talks about how he questions anything that he believes. I believe this 100%. He writes it down, and then he questions it all the time, and then and every year he'll come back to the same questions and figure out if that's what he really believes. But people don't do that. People will get their own little template set up, and then once you start to try to infringe on their reality template that they've already set up, instead of getting instead of them going, "Wow, I've never thought of that," or "Wow, I've never I've never even asked who funds I've never asked who funds the Sierra Club. I've never asked what happened at the Club of Rome in the 60s and what they said. I've never even read stuff like that." But they just get emotionally attached to their ideology, and then they're authoritarians towards you and say, no, you have to conform to me, Ramon. You have to do what I say because I watched a movie, and climate change is real, and we believe. And so then they get a cluster of them together, and then it's a pack of authoritarians pushing in disinformation on you, and you basically have to just throw your hands up and say, I, I, I can't even talk to you people. And that's what really scares me about this society is that they have created little authoritarians to go around and do their job. They basically have already and, – and Josh tells me this all the time. They've already won because they've created the mindset that if you challenge the status quo that you need to be dealt with. What would you say to that? And I'm not worried because people like us are going to – we're going to succeed in the end because we're not – like you said, we're not – we're not emotional about it. You know, we're looking at it critically. We're coming with facts. We're, we're doing the, the actual homework. We're not just taking somebody's word for it and regurgitating it. We're going into the into the gutters and, and doing the footwork and getting our boots on the ground and finding out what's what. So I'm not really worried about those people because eventually they'll, they'll be on our side and they'll be, you know, it might take a while. It might take some drastic scenarios and who knows what it'll take for them to get on our side, but eventually they will because it's their children that are going to be indoctrinated too. It's their children that are going to feel the effects of these scenarios and they'll eventually want their children to have the same future we want for ours, like peace, love, harmony, and a beautiful opportunity to get the best education and to get everything that we've always wanted. So for now, it just seems like a lot of these fear tactics that we use 
that the media and the establishment uses is getting a lot of people in that way of thinking. But the fact that we're out here fighting and pushing and not letting up and just doing everything we can to help people understand what it is we're fighting for, I think we'll, we'll be all right in the end. I think so too, man. And I, I guess I'm the, I guess I'm the eternal optimist in the fact that, that, um, you know, every time that they've tried anything like, like what we're seeing now, anything that any time that they've tried this, yeah, there ends up being a, it ends up going one of two ways. It ends up going down pure authoritarianism, where you have something like extreme nationalism, like Nazi Germany, and the way that all that stuff was set up, and you have extreme nationalistic views like what happened in Soviet Russia, and extreme nationalistic views like what happened in communist China. And that's a little bit of an exception because there was a lot of West hanky-panky in that as well. But when you look at all these things, it always ends up dissolving into what? It always ends up dissolving into an idea that, hey, wait a minute. We can't tell people what to do all the time with their time. We have to give them choices. And when people get choices to do things, then what happens is that people will either make the, make the goods that the people are choosing to buy, or they won't make the goods that people are choosing not to buy, and they'll go do something else. And I think that's where the establishment is really, really losing, losing touch in the fact that with the banking system, they've gotten us so conditioned to the fact that, that money is ever expanding, that, 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 um, that interest is always going to that, – that taxes are always inevitable and all of these other things. But I think that if we look at a society that we want, if we look at taxation for what it is, if we look at it as theft with the, you know, with the threat of force on the back end – then I think that eventually we're going to come to some kind of agreement and say, wait, 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 let's deal with the bigger problems first. And, of course, you know, the climate kids, and I'm going to start calling them that because that's what they are, climate kids want to go and they want to go after the climate first. No, no, no. You have to remove the power structures that are in place for these narcissists and these psychopaths to get into. Otherwise, you're never going to have any kind of revolution. They're just going to steer it like they did with Occupy Wall Street, like the Koch brothers did with the Tea Party. I mean it's always going to be co-opted by these billionaires. Why? Because they have leverage. They have all these things. They have the power centers in place, and they sit on top of the power centers and move pieces around like the grand chessboard, like Brzezinski said. And I, I think that that's the main philosophy that these kids are going to have to realize is that you can't do anything through the state because guess what? The oligarchs own the state, and they will never let you have control of it, ever. We've seen that here in America. What would you say to that, man? I would have to I'll say that they don't own, they don't own they the internet, man. And that's, and that's what that's we're, we're really we're making our, our mission our, known. Like, it's like I feel like a real soldier in this, like, not literally as in fighting a war on the front line, but as someone who's dedicating their life to a cause, man. And it's so much going on that I just I, – I, I really truly feel we're going to win. You know, I really feel like people like yourself and everybody else out here that's putting in the work, you know, probably most of us do it for free. We don't even want anything in return other than liberty and freedom. But the fact that we're putting in this much work and these many hours and making all these connections, it, it just makes so much sense, man. It feels like like Nazi Germany. It feels like I'm pretty sure there were people in the midst of that fighting and clawing and doing everything they could to try to get their fellow countrymen to realize what was happening. And I literally feel like one of those people. And it doesn't bother me at all because I know I'm doing it for the right causes. I know I'm doing it 
So every little kid out there who's ever been hurt by a vaccine or every little kid out there who got in trouble for asking a question or whatever, or whatever the, the scenario may be. So it just it, it really puts a smile on my heart to have these debates and these discussions with you, man, because I know people a few decades ago didn't have this opportunity. They didn't have talk radio in such a vast, you know what I'm saying, in, in so many vast places and different shows and different people from all over the world. So it's like we're really in the part or really in a place in history that literally, in my opinion, is changing the face of humanity. We're just, we just have to believe, man. We have to keep going. Oh, I would 100% agree. And then when you're talking about people that, that really do want, um, that want freedom, and, and I know that, you know, I have friends of mine that are socialists and, and, and communists, and, and I, I understand the philosophy behind it, but once again, it's utilizing a power center to get, to get people to do things that they don't necessarily want to do, and, and it typically always leads to authoritarianism because it's the similar thing that what we just talked about at the beginning of the show is if you create a power center, guess who's going to gravitate toward it? It's going to be a, a narcissistic – and I understand you know, the dictator of the proletariat. I understand all of the philosophy behind it, but the fact of the matter is is that that has been tried a couple of times over and never works. So it's, it's, not, a, it's not a revolution of the mind for a, a collectivist future. It's the revolution of a mind for human respect and morality, I think is what it is. Because if we could create a, a respect for morality and a respect for one another, then we wouldn't have bombs. We wouldn't have all these different wars going on. We wouldn't have propaganda. We wouldn't have these things because we would have respect for one another. And that brings me into my final topic, and I only got like six minutes left. And if you can make it through the next couple of minutes of the show, if we can do five more minutes, that would be awesome. Because I want to get your take on this, and, and I haven't even seen anything about it. But Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and I, I'm not going to sit here. I'm a, I'm a huge basketball fan. If people listen to the show, they know this. And, um, but he made something that was very, very uh, profound. He made a great statement about what happened with Donald Sutherland. And I'm going to read part of the article. It's an op-ed piece that he wrote in Time magazine. And he talks about, yes, I'm angry at the sins of Donald Sutherland. He's like, I've got a list, but here's where we start with Donald Sutherland. I used to work for him back in 2000, and uh, he cordially invited me to his daughter's wedding. Nothing happened. The incident suffered from um, – he's now suffering from an incident of um, irritable plantation master syndrome. So he says, let's reveal some stuff about Donald Sutherland's past. In 2006, the DOJ sued Sutherland for housing discrimination. In 2009, he reportedly paid $2.73 million in Department of Justice suit alleging uh, discrimination against blacks, Hispanics, and families living in his rentals. Um, in 2009, a Clippers executive sued him for employment discrimination based on race. So this was all pre-before all this stuff happened. And now the poor guy's undoubtedly next ex-girlfriend coaxed him into revealing his racism. Man, what a winding road she went down to get it all out of him. She's a little like a little sexy nanny playing pin the fried chicken on the sambo. And this is that was in quotes. She blindfolded him, spun him around, and all sorts of incoherent racist sound bites that the media went peeing all over themselves with glee. And I'm going to skip ahead. So he says um, – uh, where is the part that I wanted to get to? Okay. I don't blame them. I don't blame some of what he's doing. Racists deserve to be, to be paraded around the, the modern Times Square and the television screen, and the rest of us need to believe American ideals and of equality and to be reminded that racism is still, racism is still a disease and that we haven't licked them yet. And so here's where it gets interesting. 
He said, um, shouldn't we be equally angered at the fact that his private, intimate conversation was taped and then leaked to the media? Didn't we just call to task the NSA for intruding on American citizens' privacy in an such un-American way? Although the impact is similar to Mitt Romney's comments that were secretly taped, the difference is Mitt Romney was giving a public speech. It actually wasn't public, but it was private, but I understand where he's going. He was in public. Making, the making and releasing of this tape is so sleazy, just listening to it makes me feel like I was an accomplice to the crime. We don't steal cake, but we're all here to gording ourselves over it. So he makes a very good point, and that was the point that I made coming out of the jump when they – I knew Dom. I knew this guy was a racist. I knew he was a bigot. He's a rich white guy. What do you guys think is going to happen? He's going. He's he's part of the upper crust. He hates all of us. He they think that we're all scum. And this is such a great microcosm of the society that we live in, where people are shocked and appalled that racism still exists. And and the fact of the matter is, is it was a private conversation. That's the only defense I have of it. It was a private conversation. But if you didn't know that this guy was a jackass beforehand. I mean, this is not something new to the people in the NBA. Now, granted, take it away the team and stuff like that. That sets a really bad precedent. But, but I think that it's really, really telling when we see the racism that comes out here in America and what happens, the vitriol that comes out. I wish people could get as fired up about having their future stolen through debt slavery as they do about racism. What would you say, Ramon? I I've never even gotten your take on this, so this is going to be off the cuff. So don't don't bash me too hard, man. No, man. Actually, I honestly don't see why people made such a big deal about this, man. Like, I know racism is very well alive. Like, it's not going anywhere. As long as there are different multicultural people on this planet, I'm sure at least one of them will not like the other for whatever reason. But sure. the thing about me is how much media attention these things get. They love to fuel this this anger and hatred amongst one another. But mm-hmm. they wouldn't had this guy went and, and saved a hundred African babies from slaughter or whatever. You never would have heard it. Correct. That's what really showed me that the media is there to push our buttons to keep us focused on negativity because you'll never hear a good story coming out of a situation like this. It's always drama. It's always negativity. It's always problems. So I try, not to, I try not to even focus on the story. And what really, really blew my mind was the fact that after the whole thing came out, black people were still supporting him. Like, how can you be mad at someone and then still buy their tickets and, and buy their memorabilia and put money in their pockets? You're obviously not that mad if you're still supporting the person. So and, but, and, I don't yeah, know, it's just people need to get their priorities together. You're so worried about other people's opinions about you or how they feel about you. You're not even worried about the things that matter. No, I would I would 100% agree, and that's one of the things that I think was, was good about getting him. Once again, I think it's a really sad precedent. It's a really scary precedent to have somebody have the team taken away. When you're Don't even listen to her, man. But when you're, when you're looking at it from – you know, from a 10,000 foot perspective, you know, the people that are supporting him, that aren't, aren't really supporting him. They're supporting the team. But I would agree with you. If you're buying tickets, you are directly supporting him. A hundred percent. You are directly financially supporting him. So I would say, you know, unfortunately for the players, guys, I'm sorry, but I'm not buying my season tickets anymore. I'm not buying any memorabilia. I'm not buying any of that because a portion of that is going to go to him. And I'm not doing that. 
Now, as soon as he gets removed and we get a new ownership group in there or whatever, absolutely, I'll come back and start buying tickets again. But um, when you're talking about this, I mean, the topic of racism brings it all kind of together. It really does come into and it's just like what you said, man. You, I couldn't have said any better. That the media stirs this stuff up into a fervor to get people distracted and pointing fingers at other Americans. Meanwhile, our president drone strikes people. Our president has got scandals up the yin yang. Our our department, our justice department, has got scandals up the yin yang. And yet, Bush and those guys weren't weren't angels by any stretch of the imagination either. But when you're looking at this administration on a whole. This is some really crazy stuff that they're getting away with, and then what happens is that when we fuel the race card, now it's already out in the public persona and the public perception that if I don't like something that somebody else does, then the default answer is that I'm a racist, and that's just – and typically what I've, seen in this, what I've seen in this era is that people that will come out and say that somebody is racist, deep down inside, they're the people that are racist. And I don't know how that works because it just manifests to the surface. And I just never understood that. I never understood what skin color has to do with anybody's political view or political ideology. But they try to make it a football issue that we have to, we have to go ahead and justify that we're not racist first. And then we can, have our, we can present our facts and present our, um, our arguments. So I'm going to let you have the, the last comment, man. Then we'll wrap the show up. So... Any other comments you got? What else is on your mind? And I appreciate you so much for calling in. I always love chatting with you, man. I appreciate you having me, man. And I guess I'll end it with uh, us in the liberty or freedom community, whatever you'd like to call it. We mm-hmm. need to step up, man. We 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 can't allow the media to put, to portray us as country of idiotic, moronic bigots and racists and and people who just want to tear each other apart. Because we've come a long way from that, man. I've, I've found people in this movement of all creeds, colors, shapes, sizes that, that are just beautiful blessings from God. So if we can all come together and show that we are not these, these savages that want to tear each other apart like the media portrays, then we can put all that to the side and have this movement really blossom, man. I, I 100% agree, man. And I'm one of those guys that I, I love everybody that I come in contact with. If you ever get to meet me in person, man, I am... The same person that you hear on the radio, except I smile a lot more. Because when I get on the radio, I got to be serious, and I got to try to, I got to try to give people an idea of of my perception of life, and and also put it in a cogent format. So if they share it with somebody else, then it might turn a light bulb on in their life. But um, I'm a very fun loving, happy person. But what really grinds my gears is seeing people taken being taken advantage of, and when I see people walking in modern society. All I see are people just being taken advantage of, and whether they're whether they're nation about it or whether they're just um, ignorant about it, that's two totally different things. But I'm trying to take care of the nation's part, which is the I didn't know this fact, and therefore I didn't know that I was being screwed. So I'm trying to take that part away, and then if we just have to deal with ignorance, which would be ignoring the facts of the situation, we can rectify that by saying, hey, 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 pay attention. It's time to bow up. So thanks again, Ramon, for calling in. As always, great talking with you. And um, that's it for the show, everybody. Remember, get a friend, get informed, get involved. Once again, Ramon from Florida, everybody. Thanks for listening and share the message. Peace, love, and liberty, everybody. Take care.